0: Hello and welcome to FretDojo.com, which is all about mastery of jazz guitar. My name is Greg O'Rourke and in today's episode, I've got something really exciting to share with you. The interview I conducted recently with critically acclaimed jazz guitarist Mark Whitfield. Um, This is really good stuff. You're going to really enjoy this interview. I got a lot just out of talking to Mark for an hour. So yeah, hope you can join me for this and we'll get right into it right after this. Oh, my God. It's my pleasure to welcome to fret dojo the fabulous mark whitfield one of the most highly regarded jazz guitarist of modern times so um i have to say i'm a little bit nervous about this interview mark because um uh, you, you know it, it's uh, not often someone like this comes along to to my dojo so yeah welcome to
1: the show well thank you very much and don't be nervous at all <laughs> we're just two guys who love the guitar here to talk about it share what we know um Yeah, congratulations on all the success of your site. I'm glad to be a part of it. Uh, Talking about jazz and talking about guitar is what I love to do the most. So you fire away.
0: Thank you so much for coming on, Mark. And um, yeah, it's a a real honour to have you here. So for those of you that uh, don't know about Mark, um, I I actually had to prepare a few notes that I'm going to read off here just to tell you about the kind of players that he's played with over the years. It's um, absolutely insane. Uh, Mark has had uh, collaborations with Dizzy Gillespie, Art Blakey, Herbie Hancock, Quincy Jones, Wynton Marsalis, and Branford Marsalis, George Benson, uh, who was one of his main teachers, Jimmy Smith, Jack McDuff, one of my favourite jazz booze players, and many others as well, and even Sting. And uh, Mark studied at the Berklee College of Music and has also had record deals with Verve and Warner Brothers as well. So um, it, it's uh, it's a it's great to have you on the show, Mark. And I thought today we could talk a bit about journey with uh, jazz guitar. You know where it all started, and um, and and where uh, where it took you from there. And also, um, uh, in particular, I'd like to talk to you a bit about jazz blues because uh, I'm doing a series at the moment on my website about. Uh, jazz blues guitar, and I think uh, you, you're definitely the man to talk about uh, when it comes to that uh, because uh, uh, one of my friends, Matt Warnock, uh, recommended me that I listened to one of your um, uh, tracks off your first album, The Marksman, uh, as one of the best examples of jazz blues playing that uh, he's ever come across. So, um, yeah, it's it's not often you get to talk about uh, a, a transcription with someone that's still alive. <laughs> well, that's so, very flattering.
1: Thank you. Yeah, um, <laughs> when I hear you use the, the, the term jazz blues, you um, I, it makes me realize that as I was coming up learning to play, um, I, I definitely didn't have a specific style or something that specific in mind for how, for how I wanted to apply uh, what I was hearing. You know, I just have always kind of been on this journey that takes unexpected. It's taken some very unexpected turns over the years and has gotten me from where I started to where I am now. I, you know, I started out, I grew up on Long Island in a little town called Lindenhurst, which is a suburb about an hour outside of New York City. Um, And my parents, you know, had a a great appreciation for music and for jazz especially, but they weren't musicians. Um, In fact, no one in my family uh, was a professional musician. I'm the only one. And um, my brother, David, got a guitar for his homecoming present from Vietnam. My sister brought him a guitar because my brother loved the blues. And... uh, and he couldn't play, so on my seventh birthday, he gave it to me. And he's like, "Well, Wes, he gave me a guitar. I don't do it here, little brother. You give it a shot." And uh, I must have done something with it that displayed a sort of natural affinity for the instrument, because uh, within a few weeks, my mom had gotten me some lessons at a local music store. And uh, my brother gave me a record, the Lightning Lightning Hawkins, <clears throat> Anthology of the Blues. You know, so I had this, I was a you know, you know, little seven-year-old kid on Long Island checking out Lightning Hopkins, um, who was seemingly from another planet, considering where I, where I was growing up. Um, and then uh, my parents took me to see concerts. So I got to see the Ellington Orchestra. I got to see Count Basie. I me to see Ellen um I saw Oscar Peterson, you know, when I, before I was even 10 years old. They took me to, uh, to this, all these concerts at a place called the West Westray Music Fair, which is a great uh, music venue. Uh, out on Long Island, not too far from right So all right, so that's kind of how I got started. Um, so here I was, you know, uh, taking lessons with a, with a guitar teacher at a local music store. Um, and my teacher was more of a 70s fusion guy. You know, this was, this was 1974, 1975. My teacher Vinnie, yeah. uh, Vincent Nazaro, he was a student at a school on Long Island. I forget what school he was going to then. And he was teaching lessons on the side, you know, just to help make ends meet. And um, he took a liking to me right away because he, he could see that I had some ability, uh, albeit I was not that, um, I was not that dedicated. You know, music for me was just a hobby. I had no intention of becoming a professional. I didn't even really know how to go about that. If, if, if I, you know, if, if it had ever come to mind, I would need to know how to start. One thing I'll always say is, um, I always seem to be drawn to the blues. Not necessarily um, as a a specific genre, just as a form of expression. When I, you know, if if I heard a recording or heard a solo or I heard something, uh, it it didn't really matter um, how sophisticated or simple it was. If it had some element of the blues that felt kind of authentic and real, it usually got my attention, you know, and, and I can say that even when I you look know, back to being nine or 10 years old and not really knowing anything about music, I was already sort of drawn to that. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then, uh, so I, I, played, but I played bass uh, in the orchestra school, and, I, and because I could read, the band director uh, used me on, on, on the bass, upright uh, bass, in the high school jazz band. We went to Berkeley for the high school jazz band competition when I was in the 10th grade, and I won a scholarship to attend uh, Berkeley on the base. Well, I was not interested, right? And so that, then that following, that following summer, my parents retired, and we moved what seemingly was way across the world to Seattle, Washington, <laughs> 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 which was, you know, um, a new experience. Only the jazz band there, they didn't have the guitar player. And so here's my shot to finally play guitar in an organized school ensemble, so I took it. Um, and and then uh, I kind of found my thing. And all of a sudden, um, it, it was more than a casual affinity. Now all of a sudden, I, I was practicing three and four hours a day and trying to, you know, transcribe things off records. And I was really getting into this whole guitar thing. Right? And so, we went to another Berkeley-sponsored high school jazz competition in in, uh, in Westminster, in Canada, and I won a second scholarship. Um, and that got and that all of a sudden. I, I got my attention. Wait, but I, I, I might be onto something here. You know.
0: <laughs> I reckon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm just really lucky. One of the other. so then I, um, it was time to graduate high school, and uh, I had to choose you know what college I was going to attend. Uh, and everyone in my family was completely against me going to music school, music school, and going to become a musician. And it had, it had only entered the conversation because I won these scholarships. Now I was like, "Wait, a minute, I could I could try this." So I convinced my parents to let me go to Berkeley, uh, and our deal was within a few months I would be able, you know, I would I would be able to tell realistically if I was good enough to keep up with you know with the best students there, or if I thought I might catch up to the best students. And if not, you know, I, I mean, it was my it was my future I was gambling. With, so if I if I didn't think I had what it took. I would just you know drop out and re-enroll someplace else and, and, and you know go back to try something else for a living. And so you know, like I got to Boston within I don't know, within a few weeks, I was done. I, I knew I, I knew I had found my my, my path. I had found my, I found the right place for me. Um, and then uh, I noticed that as I was as I was practicing more intensely and focusing on the things that I could not do. As well as you know, some of the guitar players who were there, uh, I started to have some problems with my right arm. You know, I had a, a I had an, a weird technique, a kind of homegrown technique, and, and I had I used to keep my palm pressed against the top of the guitar. Mm. So it just so happens, Kevin Eubanks, who had just made his first record, was coming uh, coming back to Berkeley where he'd gone to school to give a master class. So I went to see him, and and uh, I bought him at, you know after after the class, and I I just said to him that. I was having a problem. I needed some help, and he said, "Well, let me, let me see. Let me see what you're handling. Like. Let me see what's going on." And so I started to play. He's like, "Oh God, that's the that's the ugliest technique I've ever seen," you know. And so it, within five minutes or so, he, he straightened me out, he gave me just what I needed. I had to sort of start over. You know, luckily, I had that entire summer, you know, before my my second year, to figure out how to play and kind of imagine my right arm as a straight as you know, two points, you know. Um, for a straight line of energy, and, and uh, you know, by the time I got back to school in September, I was pain free and on my way. But um, then I was discovering all this new music. You know, I, I mean, you know, you know I, I sent, when I sent my kids to Berkeley. You know, each one of them they, they went to school with an iTunes account that had eight thousand songs in it. You know, when I enrolled at Berkeley in in 1983, I had a record player and eighteen records. <laughs> You know, and and I knew uh, most of every note of all those records, but that's all I had. That, that's an interesting
0: interesting point you've brought up there, Mark. Because mm-hmm. it, maybe that's an issue these days: is that there's too much choice, you know, and people don't spend enough oh, time sure. digging deep on uh, on transcriptions, you know, because um, it, it, yeah. it actually uh, it you do need to really kind of be married to a transcription for a while to get the. Um, to get the flavor out of it, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I heard lots of lots of um, my you know, jazz heroes talk about the, you know, the importance that transcription, you know, the, the role that transcription played in, in their development. You know, Joe Henderson said that, that um, he had transcribed so much Lester Young, and the process of transcription had trained his ear to the point that when he started playing gigs, people thought he had perfect pitch. But you can just imagine how difficult it was back then to transcribe Lester Young solo. You got the clunky record player, and a you know, and a very sensitive you know, <laughs> moody needle you're trying to move back and forth. Once you scratch the record, it's ruined, you know. And so, so um, I, I think now, for for a lot of music students, transcriptions are too readily available, uh, too easy to come by. Excuse me, and therefore, I, I don't feel often that students are spiritually connected, not you know, not in the metaphysical sense, but in, in terms of being truly committed to the notes that they're learning and the significance of, you know, that they play in terms of how you want to express yourself because there's just so much information. And so, you know, the really, really good students, the really talented kids, they find their way anyway because they're just not satisfied until they get there. You know, and I, I see that. You know, if you're really driven and you really want to play – you're not satisfied with just being able to play some notes. You, you know, you want to get it. and so I see that with my kids and students that I was teaching when I was at Berkeley, and just in general. So I, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't share this thing mean, that technology is somehow ruining our love for music. I just realize that it's become a crutch for people sometimes who don't who aren't that devoted. Um, but yeah, so for me, I I, uh, I got my first West Montgomery record, my you know, my, my first semester at Berkeley. Um, and until that point, because I, I played bass, I had a couple of Pablo records. You know, those records uh, with Oscar Peterson, and Herb Ellis, and mm. Ray Brown, and Bobby Durham, and also Clark Terry and, and you know, and, and a common, you know, a usual suspect for most of his recordings was Joe Pass. Um, and, you know, I didn't really know anything about him, but I was very used to hearing him play uh, because I was listening, listening to Ray Brown trying to figure out how to play those bass lines in these big band charts in my tenth, you know, my tenth, my tenth grade stage band, you know. And so uh, when I got the chance to, to sit in the guitar chair, I started to reference those recordings. And my favorite uh, at that point was prop, was um, one called "Portraits of Duke," "Portraits of Ellington "Portraits of Duke," and it was, it was so. It's Joe Ray Brown and Bobby Durham playing drums. And it's just, you know, they play eight or nine Ellington classics. And, it's, you know, it sounds like they were in Norman Granz's living room <coughs> recording. And, and it, it sounds great. It's amazing. Um, and Joe was interesting because, he you know, he was very sophisticated in terms of his, his ability to uh, navigate the instrument. He, he had a very complex orchestral approach, you know, almost like he was playing a piano to playing, you know, from my perspective as a guitar player, he had a very, a very wide uh, uh, spectrum that he could deal with, you know, and, and, and he played small voicings and and, and clusters and and, and spread, spread and he and he moved, he moved all these voices at once, inner voices and melody and bass. For me, what he used to tie all that together was this amazing sense of blues, and you know, at at, at the end of a you know a, a, an eight bar. You know, flurry of 16th notes and, you know, a combination of bird and all, you know, all this. He would play a blues lick that just brought it all home, you know, and, and, and it didn't feel like he was saying, okay, now I'm going to play a blues lick that's going to bring it all home. It was just at the end of a phrase, he would just drop it. Here it is, bam. Now mm-hmm. Sit on that, you know, let that sink in for a second. And, and, and I love that, you know, and so those were, the, those were the things I was, you know, between him, this is him, and of course, my, my dad had bought me a copy of Breezy. And that's really, I think, was my initial, uh, original inspiration to playing. When I heard George Benson, I saw him playing on TV. I saw him on TV playing the music from that record. And, uh, well, anyone who's ever seen George live or on television, you understand how ridiculous that is. I mean, uh, you know, he made it look so simple, um, and it is so insanely complex. (laughs) What You know, (laughs) But it was so soulful and so much blues and so much fire and energy and, and confidence and, and swing and, you know, all these things. Uh, and I was just barely scratching the surface. But what I knew that I wanted to do more than anything else was I wanted to, I wanted to keep my connection to the blues and somehow use that. As a commonality, a, a way to express myself, a, a way to bridge the gaps, a way to, a, a, you know, as a conduit to find other levels of expression. And, uh, and I, you know, and I think I was drawn to those things. And sometimes I feel like um, when I strayed away, the universe brought me back. You know, I, so I, I stayed at Berkeley for four years. I, I had a couple of different guitar teachers. So I, I was 16 years old, I graduated from high school a year early. Um, I had had some private instruction, but uh, not a whole lot. I didn't know anything about theory. I didn't understand um, more than just the basic building blocks for, making, for chords. I, I didn't know anything about chord scales. You know, I was just – you know, I, it's, a mar, it's a wonder to me that I wanted any scholars to do anything because I didn't know I, – I just but – I, but I did play a lot. You know, I, I played with my friends. You know, I had some command of the instrument. In fact, it was probably deceptive. It Probably looking back, it probably seemed like I knew more than I did because I could play some things really well with a lot of confidence. And, you know, at that point, you only played a few things, and then next, the next kid played. So it's like I could hide behind that, you know. Um, uh, but um, when I got to Berkeley, uh, I – I had never been around that many guitar players. I mean, I think uh, there couldn't have been more than 3,000 students enrolled at the, on the, at the campus at that time. Berkeley's a much bigger school now. Um, but it seemed like at least 60% of those kids were guitar players. You know, I, I, Berkeley was basically two buildings in the Back Bay section of Boston. It was you know, the 150 building. And then around the corner was 1140 where we took all our private lessons. Um... I remember coming out of the dormitory on my first day and looking down the street. It just seemed like as far as I could see it was a sea of gig bags. <laughs> just you know, guys <laughs> with guitars. So I was like, man, I have arrived. And then then I panicked. Oh my god, how can I? I will never be able to keep up with any of these. You know, how do I? Don't, first, I got to get a gig bag because <laughs> I'm a loser carrying around a heavy guitar case. <laughs> yeah. So. um, you know, and I and it was sort of a movement. Yes, uh, you have to remember this is Berkeley in 1983. At that point, John Schofield and Mike Stern uh, had just recently left Boston. Uh, Pat Metheny was still lurking about. Um, you know, John Abercrombie w- had had become very popular. He his presence, uh, uh, you know, and a lot of guys who kind of played that way. Their pres Their their. The presence of that concept and of the of this, uh, future, you know, this sort of uh, modern effects-driven experimental style of guitar that had become really prevalent, you know, and, and um, a lot a lot of the students were coming there to learn how to do that, and so it, it made sense that they, they were te- they were hiring younger teachers who were interested. Some of the, some of the guys they hired. Had gone to school with John, with you know, with Schofield or, or Mike. You know, they knew these guys, and and, uh, and that didn't really appeal to me. It's not that, I, you know, and I, you know, I've become relatively good friends with with, with you know with Skull and, and and certainly with Mike. And I taught a week at a, at a guitar workshop once with John Amber Brown, but I think he's a you know, I, mean, I, I just I clearly hadn't hadn't come that far yet. in in this my chronological study and and, you know my 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 journey to internalize everything the jazz guitar means to me you know i was still trying to figure out exactly where django reinhardt came from who was charlie christian and how did he do all that he did in literally two and a half years on the scene that's pretty much he came he's gone like that's right and he changed you know he changed the guitar for the next 100 years yeah and so I didn't care about anybody and their effects pedals at that point. All I wanted to know was how did this cat, where did he come from, and how did he do what he did? Um, there were a few, you know, I mean, at that point, the, the chairman of the, guitar, of the guitar department was a guy named William Levitt, and he wrote all the method books, and he, he had been uh, a, a studio. I think he played for NBC Studios back when, you know, the studios had orchestras and all that. He, he, he was, uh, so the sound of jazz guitar was part of what he did. So, so every so it was built into all the methods. So some mm-hmm. of the oldest, the older teachers, I you know I, I I could hang out with them and learn some. But then you know it, we come to the next part of this, and, and listen, you feel free to cut. Jump, cut you know I will just talk.
0: Oh that. no, man, I, I'm I'm yeah. I'm really enjoying just listening all to your right. story, man. So so yeah, keep rolling.
1: <laughs> all right, so um, I realized along the way, and I say this a lot, and I know sometimes it can be uh, a little daunting for a student to hear this, but. No one can really teach you how to play jazz. You know, uh, I can teach a student um, you know, how to tune the instrument, how to hold the instrument, how to get the most uh, you know, out of your technique. I can give you exercises to improve that. I can help you with ear training. Um, I can point you, not necessarily in the right direction, but in a direction that I think makes sense to help you get the most out of what it is you're trying to do based on what I've learned over the years. Um, But what makes jazz so beautiful and so wonderful, and the blues is a big part of that, is that uh, it it represents each individual player's relationship with themselves and the music and the world around you. And you have to figure that out for yourself. And figuring that out is what makes it so great. Because when you finally start to establish a relationship with the notes and the scales and chords and all these things, you end up with a sound that's unmistakably and uniquely your own. And when that happens, um, there's, for, I think for those of us who you know who are on this journey, there's no greater feeling than waking up one day, picking your an instrument, and realizing, "Wow, I sound like me!" You know, and that's not bad. <laughs> I sound like me, and it's not bad. It's okay. It's not great, but it's not bad. And and um, and there's no one particular way that you get there. But all the things, I think, that have to be there are, uh, you know, the basic building blocks. You have to have the fundamentals, your basic fundamentals as a musician. You have to have a good time. You have to have a good ear. You have to you know, be sensitive and know how. To, and you have to be confident and be able to play it and stand on your own two feet and play, you know. And so uh, – and I learned this – much kind of by accident just by seeing guys do it. So, so I want to tell you my Joe Pass story. You know, I,
0: oh, yeah, for sure. I'd love I, to hear your time I, with Joe Past, man. But, but so, maybe uh, just, bef- but just before we do, though, ju- ju- uh, uh, like we'll get to that in a, in a minute, uh, Mark. But in term, I, I think you've raised something really interesting here. Like, like uh, I think that was absolute gold then when you said, you know, like a, a teacher can't – like the, the student has to do the work, basically, sure, like to, to, to find their voice. Uh, but what – what do you think are some of the main things that uh, a student at jazz needs to do to facilitate that off their own bat, you, you know, as, as opposed to just relying on a teacher?
1: Well, I mean, you know, we have to think about jazz um, as a language. And that and when I, and it doesn't mean that there are only 10 phrases and everybody has to know them. It's just, it's just there are 10 phrases that everyone has to know to get started, you know, my name is Mark. Where's the bathroom? Can I have a glass of water? It's like learning to speak a foreign language, you know, and and um, you should start simple. Uh, and as you begin to get the sound of the language in your ear, then you can take liberties with it. you know, so uh, that's it's kind of like a little kid learning to speak learning to speak the language he hears his parents speak, you know, and so um, I think when you if, for me, Starting to think about it in that, in that way made it a little simpler. It's like, okay. So I don't, know what, I don't know all of what that guy just played, but it's okay. I don't have to know just yet. But I did recognize something. So let me just – I recognize that phrase or that one thing he played over these two bars. That really spoke to me. So let me just sit with that for a second and break it down okay and I realized you know it's it's, it's a it's a 251 pattern it's you know it's substitutions it's, it's e minor a7 D major and so if I learn this phrase and play it now I know that when I get to a point in the music where there's e minor seven D major seven I have one thing I know I can play that will sound good and then so I get it so and so then I, I move on to the next thing you know now I've got two things and, and before you know it you know I've got Ten or fifteen of these phrases that I that I, I really know how to play in that one in that one place. So now my challenge is how do I expand on it? So you learn to play each phrase in a different key. You know, you learn to play each phrase in twelve in all twelve keys, and then you mix them up, and then you know, you add one phrase to the next before you know it. And you know, and and so uh, effective practice sometimes can sound like um, just meandering. To, uh, to, to somebody standing by. You know, my, my mom, uh, she was not a musician, but to her, uh, she, you know, she understood that effective practice had to be regimented. So she set, she set an egg timer that was set to 30 minutes and she wanted to hear scales and the, you know, and, and the lessons that my teacher gave me for those 30 minutes or my practicing was, or what I did was a waste of time. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, you know, within, I, you know, I get it. That, that's, how, that's how she made sense of, of this abstract uh, application of learning music. You know, it um, you know, was, was a nurse. So that was something tangible. This was something sort of intangible. Um, but so, so for me, all right, like get the scales out of the way, whatever. Now I, I got this phrase, I'm just going to screw on. With it. And i just, you know, I'm going to learn how to do something. Change one note. What happens if I change this note? What happens if I throw this quarter? Just try it. And each time that I would uh, experiment, with and try something different. Um, it opened up yet another, you know, another pathway to another creative suggestion. Oh, well, if I did that, then maybe I can try this. And and if and I found, you know, I continued to follow, you know, uh, uh, follow the clues. You know, fifty paces to the right. You know, Dig 10 feet, pick up, you know, object wide, and then, wow, there's a map, to, you know, and you keep following these unknown pathways. And at the end of the week, I've got a new thing, you know, a new sound, a new something else I've discovered. And so this is why I say there was nothing bad about my time at Berkeley, because being at Berkeley gave me basically all day, every day to do this. You know, I I could just I get up in the morning, I go to a class about music, learn something I didn't know. Uh, you know, I got a break I go back to my room to practice and I, I happens to have, with some friends for lunch and then go back to it you know I mean I was in I was in music student heaven I could just be a musician all day every day uh, and I didn't know anything so everybody there I felt they everybody who, who was a decent player a decent student knew more than me so I, I you know I, I learned something from everybody you know there was a security guard who, who had been a former student you know he used to sit uh, you know, by the, by the emergency on the fourth floor. He would, he would tell me things about West Montgomery. Government. <laughs> you know, I like, wow. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I think, I think it's great for a student, for someone who's serious about learning to play. It's wonderful if you have the opportunity to go someplace where you can just do that. Because let me wow. tell you, you well, no. Once you leave school and you're out in the real world, you got other things to do.
0: That's you know, right. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, really long from the time we could just get up and just play guitar, you know, or just like listen to Charlie, you know what I mean? Those days they're gone before you know it. So I look back at my time at Berkeley and I and I and I got everything out of that, you know. And I didn't um, I, I didn't have nearly as mature an outlook uh, to describe describe it the way I can describe it now. Back then I was just panicked. Because I was in love with the guitar, in love with music, and I sucked. Everybody, everybody was better than me. You know, it's I was like, oh God, how do I get better? You know, and so um, I I went at it like I didn't have much time. You know, I I went at it like I like I could see the clock ticking, and I was going to get to the finish line with everybody else and not be ready. And I'm, I'm too competitive, and I had too much pride to let that happen. Right and so and I and I just loved playing, you know, and and and, you know, and there was no no greater high than being on stage with some guys um, and we're playing we're playing something together, not even something that we rehearsed or worked, just a tune that we all knew, and um, you know, and I and and I felt like I I was having a dialogue, an exchange of ideas beyond what we could talk about, you know, and I'm giving. there's something about about tapping in to that form of expression that uh, you know it's, it's a high like 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 nothing else you know and so uh, I got to do that like I said every day for four years so that was great.
0: Just um, <laughs> just on that, Mark, uh, this is this is really interesting because uh, a lot of my audience members are. Uh, you know that they're, they're kind of in a situation you you described quite well. Then you know that they've got families, they've got um, busy jobs. You know uh, what if if for someone in that sort of situation, how do you think they could best? Obviously, that they could. It would be unrealistic to to think they could. They could ever get to a level like yourself, obviously, with, with that limited amount of time. But, but uh, how do you think they could make satisfying progress with what they did in their practice? You know, what, what's the most essential ingredients they could include in their well, in the think, practice?
1: first of all, I, I would just like to say, while, while your point does make sense, um, you know, I, that's kind of how West Montgomery started. I, you know, he had two jobs, he wasn't playing. Of course, West Montgomery was extraordinarily gifted. You know, there's only one of him. In history, which you know, I, I get that, but um, you know, he practiced that night after after he got off from work. That's that's how he started. You know? uh, but I, you know, I, I think when you, I know what it's like to not have a lot of time every day to you know, to devote to practicing. So when you need to break it down to what can I do to, to, to yield the greatest greatest results with an hour and a half or whatever I've got, you know, I think I think then. Having a routine, a schedule to follow, uh, is is a very effective way to solve that problem. Um, that way, you know, you make you make sure that you uh, you, know, you have pro- proper time management, so you get the most out of it. And and then two, if you do it and you start to you start to feel like you're you're making progress, it inspires you to press forward, to press on, because there's nothing more frustrating, you know, or, or defeating. Then, if you look back, you're like, man, I've been working on this for a month and I, and I haven't gotten anywhere, screw it, you know. And so, uh, I think it's always good to start with a measure of technique. I think it's always good. All the greats will always, always have some sort of routine, uh, a, a practice, you know, a, a physical, a technical regimen that I liken to uh, calisthenics. You know, it's just a warm up, a, a, you know. A, that way, and you know, and as a young musician, I, had, I did it because I needed I needed to develop my technique. But I did not understand the significance. You know, I hear older guys say, "When you get older, you're gonna you have all these arthritis, you're tired." Blah, blah blah. And I was like, "Oh come on, I can do this forever," you know. Uh, and now I'm older, <laughs> <laughs> and so I understand how important it is to take good to take good care of whatever your chops are, you know. And for our, and, and you know, in, in our case. It's this, you know, and uh, you, gotta, you have to cherish it, you know. And, and so um, proper blood flow, I think, comes from uh, uh, slow, uh, almost uh, stagnant motion with pressure. And so I, I always would start out with a technical regiment that um, included the metronome, which drives my wife crazy.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> No, no, you know. no, no, nothing um, more can sort of rile up the, the household oh. <laughs> yeah. for hours and hours <laughs> when,
1: when, when it's time for her to pass on as they say she'll know she didn't make it upstairs if she hears a metronome <laughs> 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 yes indeed so anyway but, he, but here's the value of the metronome for me uh, because I think of time uh, as a universal constant like a, for, like a force of nature now, we manipulate time, and, and, I, and I see that as meter. You know how, how, we, how we subdivide it. How, but time exists as a universal constant. So when you take you take that guesswork out of the equation, you have an, another way to judge your accuracy and precision. So you set you set the metronome at a slow but steady pace, and uh, slow. And, and I start out playing a simple scale in whole notes. You know, uh, uh, so four clicks on a slow metronome. Uh, the only, and the purpose of this is, um, I get, uh, I build up strength. I can focus on vibrato and touch and manipulating the sound of the instrument because you know you can do so many things with, with, with the slightest alteration in in in, the, in you know the pressure or the angle of your finger on the string. But you don't know this if you're still trying to run past it. You know, you don't you don't get to investigate the possibilities mm-hmm. in every attack. And then, you know, because I started out as a bass player, either playing with my fingers or with a bow, uh, I, I had been playing guitar, you know, at the same time. Most of my, most of my, 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 my training and my practice was, was, so the pick was always um, uh, a mystery, you know. The, how, how do I get this to, to, to strike the string at the exact moment when I'm depressing with my left hand, so playing scales slow really helps me to fo- to refocus on that accuracy, and and it's and it, it becomes uh, quite apparent when I'm playing, you know, much more complicated uh, uh, groups, you know, groupings of notes, if I've been practicing or not, because because if it's clean, you know, I've been practicing; if it's not, well, you know, it's hit or miss, and yeah. so. So I think so having, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes of your hour and a half devoted to whatever you need to do to solve the technical issues of the day, you know, whether it's string leaps or arpeggios and scales and three octaves, um, all of these things sort of solve problems that, uh, you know, that, that, that playing jazz will bring up, you know, especially playing, when you went for guitar players, oftentimes we are, all, we're trying to figure out how to voice a phrase that was developed by someone who played an instrument with the notes made better sense. You know when you hear when you hear Charlie Parker playing, uh, if you can imagine, a lot of those fingerings, the notes are right. There, they're sort of all right there in front of them, you. you know, it's just it's it's a very logical, and um, you know, it's just a very logical progression of note to note on the guitar it looks like Russian. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, just,
0: a, like a Rubik's like, Cube, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, some of the things we have to do to, to translate that language to the fretboard require a certain kind of, of, uh, of physical preparation to make it happen. And, and um, so, you know, that, that kind of, you know, starting out every day with, with that, devoting that, that time of practice to practice to your technique, will Help you to solve that, those problems before they come up, you know. You, and then when it happens, you're prepared. Right. And then, all right, so now you, now you know how to get started. So then, you know, you should try to accomplish something learn a song, learn a phrase, uh, learn a solo, learn a new chord. Every day, you should set out to do something. It doesn't mean that if you have a day where you just sit down and play something you like, that that you, you're a failure that day. It just means that most, of, that most days, when you know you have limited time, you should approach it with a goal in mind. What am I trying to accomplish today? Not this month or this year, just today. What would, you know, what, if I learn this one phrase today, I'm good. You know, and if it takes me all week to learn it, it takes me all week, but I'm not gonna give up until I get this. And I think if you can just sort of keep your eyes on the prize that way, uh, before you know it, you uh, you, you know, you look back at the calendar and you're like, man, I started this back in January in September. I'm not doing bad, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and so and I, I mean, it may sound kind of corny, or whatever, but but I mean, I know what it's like. You know, when I when I got out of school, you know, my sister who was a stockbroker got me a job on Wall Street, and you know, I I had to be there eight fifteen in the morning, and I got home at five. Uh, you know, and I had you know, two hours or so to kind of like practice or do whatever had to be done, you know, to, just to survive. Um, you know, go to the grocery store, whatever it was. And then I had to go out and pound the pavement at night in New York and try to get a, get a gig somewhere, play with somebody. You know, and I, I finally got a gig playing with, with the Harper brothers, Philip and Winard Harper. We completed the Blue Note from 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. Wow. Tuesday through Sunday, where we only made 20 bucks a guy. Oh, so I couldn't quit my day job, <laughs> but I was meeting everybody. Because at that point, the Blue Note was the center of New York of New York's jazz. Scene. You know, it wasn't like the Vanguard, but the Blue Note was where all, um, all, all the legends who had achieved some level of career success, this was their reward. Now they get to play at the Blue Note and make, it, make a boatload of cash. So this was their reward. So I got to hang out with, you know, with Ray Brown, with Oscar Peterson, with Joe Pass, you know, um, with Freddie Hubbard, you know, with Elvin Jones. I saw all these people there. Uh, but I had to be at work at 8 So, you know, I would, I would play till 4 a.m. Uh, I didn't get home until 4.45 or 5. I could sleep for a couple hours and then repeat, you know. It was that Tom period, you know. Live, I repeat. Live, I repeat. <laughs> and so, wow, right? so that's, that's dedication, so, man. So, you know, for sure, but but I mean, you know, it was dedication. But then look at the life of them, I just I just sat at the bar with with George Benson for a half an hour. I can wow. I could do I could use a couple more nights, and not get me sleep. You know, and I'm 20 years old. It's the time to do it. So, uh, so, I, so, what I'm saying is, say that I know what it feels like. To have, more to, to have more to do than there are hours in the day. But so you, just, you just have to take a little piece of it and work that out and then move on a little piece and move on, you know, and you keep doing it. And I promise if you stick to it, you make some progress. How much progress depends on, you know, how hard it just depends on, on the individual, but some progress is everybody's reward for hard work. Right. So, uh, all right. So I, do, I, I don't want to skip over that Joe Pass story. Yeah, yeah. You. I, I, I'm it's sorry. To cut you off, no, 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 uh, I
0: was just uh, kind of dying to ask you those questions before, man. So that, that was fantastic to, um, you, you know, uh, I think people are really going to enjoy that practice advice. But yeah, um, so, but maybe before we, uh, wrap up the interview man I, i'd love to hear some stories about joe pass because you uh, know joe pass is one of the most most liked uh jazz players I- in my audience and and of course you know everyone knows joe pass so <laughs> it'd be absolutely. great to, to, to hear some stories man
1: all right so i had been in seattle um for half of the school year you know what my, my, became my final year of high school and while I was playing guitar in the jazz band, I still played bass in the school orchestra. Uh, that was kind of the band, the, the music our our, our music uh, instructors deal with me. Said, All right, I know you played bass in New York, so I need you to play bass in the orchestra, and then you can play guitar in the, in the jazz band. So um, the orchestra took was taking a trip to Disneyland in California, you know in in, in California as. Um, you know, a reward for some school concert we hit down that was pretty decent, you know. Uh, so we, we they flew us down to California, and we were going to give a performance at Disneyland for some kids. Which, uh, you know, I was always kind of that kid who would sneak away from the crowd do my own thing. And so um, at some point, I disappeared and just was kind of wandering through Disneyland. Uh, um, and I just remember walking through those giant teacups that spin around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then, uh, and, and then I, I saw this, what looked like a nightclub, but, it, you know, it's Disneyland, so it's, it's not real. And I could swear I heard some jazz in there. You know, I, so, was, you know, I walk in, and there are people sitting at tables, and there's a guy on stage, uh, it's Joe Pats by himself, at Disneyland, at like two of the afternoon. Of all places. <laughs> sitting in a chair with a little polytone next to him, holding, you know, holding a, a, a 175, you know, eyes closed, rocking back and forth with that, with that smile, playing standards. So I, I sat there and watched him, for you know, I don't know, 45 minutes. And, uh, and then, you know, I had to get back to, 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 my, to, to, my, to, my, to my classmates. So I left and I said, guys, you won't believe what I saw. They were like, who, what? <laughs> who's that you know and, and so alright so now that was probably April of 1983 so then cut to September of 83 now I'm enrolled at Berkeley I'm in Boston and as a sign up Joe Pass is going to be giving a master class at the music store right down the street from Berkeley so of course I go. sit up front you know and uh, he was kind of a cranky dude he wasn't <laughs> He was not—he um, was not known for the warm fuzzies, that's for sure. But uh, but you know, he, he just, but he was very real about what he did. If you asked me a question, he answered. You know, so he was very patient, and um, and he talked talk to the students and all. That. And at the end, I told him that I had seen him at Disneyland. You know, and he said, "Oh, that's, that's the weirdest thing." He said, "But through some deal with the resistance, Union, uh, like a jazz outreach program or something, Disneyland would pay you know established musicians a, a large amount of money to come out and just play jazz all afternoon. <laughs> he's wow. like, you never, he's like, you can see anybody in there? You know, all these legends would like, be in there playing. You know, it's a great game And I was like, okay,
2: <laughs> I see. like <laughs> not crazy?
1: It was odd. So, but that, but that was my way. That that was my end with him. You know, we talked about that for a second. and 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 so then I asked him a few questions, uh, and I uh, one of the things I wanted to know was how do you how do you constantly move everything at the same time? And he said I don't. He said but I create the illusion of of constant motion by always moving at least one thing all the time. He said either there's a baseline moving, or there's a melody note moving, or there are inner voices moving, but there's some motion always happening. And, and and he said because it's not always just one thing, it creates this this, this really pleasant sort of arc. If you if you were looking at it on a graph, this is boring. This is interesting, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, moving moving the voices and alternating alternating the motion back and forth is what helps me to create drama and resolution. Um. And yeah, and so so then. Uh,
0: Cause it's it's with the um uh, with the solo guitar thing, it's it's almost like the the audience's mind kind of fills in the blanks. You, you know, it's almost like you're suggesting right, right. all these different parts of the band, and and um. Yeah. But, but but when it's combined together, it, it's much more than it it appears much more than it actually is. Sometimes I think.
1: Well, so, and if you leave too many blanks, the audience's mind fills in with their cell phone. <laughs> like, <all right. laughs> let, me get, let me get out my yeah. What's happening, in solitaire? You know what I mean. So. So, you, you know, you want, you want to be engaged, you want to keep people engaged. So I'll just tell you one, one more part to that story. And then,
0: yeah, for I, sure, man.
1: So now, you know, so I, that, that my freshman year, I talked to Joe for 20 minutes and that's it. You know, uh, I go on, I, I didn't see him for, for three or four years. So now I had moved to New York and um, I, I uh, hadn't gotten that job yet playing the late night band. So I was just walking around trying to, you know, see what I could see and meet who I could meet. And I saw that Joe Pass was, was doing a double bill at the Blue Note with um, George Shearing, he his quintet. So George Shearing was playing with his quintet. They play, uh, I don't know, 50 minutes, and then Joe Pass came out and played 30 minutes, you know, and that, and that was a full show. So while George Shearing was on stage, I told the guy at the door that I was going to meet Joe. And I sort of stretched the truth a little bit uh, and let him believe that Joe was expecting me. Because <laughs> believe me, what? <laughs> so then, you know, so I get past the door, and I certainly didn't, you know, I didn't pay. Um, and I knocked on Joe's, on you know, on on Joe's dressing room door, and uh, he opened the door. And like, yeah, kid, what do you want? He didn't recognize me, you know, and I, I wasn't gonna say, oh my God, you met, you met four years ago you know, about Disneyland. I just said. You know, he, he had an old, an old buddy of his from, from Brooklyn, and they were smoking big cigars and drinking scotch and t- telling stories. And the last thing he wanted to do is be interrupted by some kid he didn't know on his, on his break. But there I was. So he says, what do you want, kid? And I said, oh, you know, uh, you know sir, I'm a big fan. I play guitar. I was just wondering if I could get a lesson uh, or just, you know, a few minutes. And, and he looks at and his buddy says, hey, you know, hey, Mikey, this kid wants a lesson. And they're kind of like, ah, you're an idiot, kid, <laughs> you know, like, you serious? But then there I was, and he's just like, oh, what the hell, come on in. So he let me in, and he's, and, uh, he's like, I'm not going to give you a lesson. He said, well, you know, play something, we'll see. So he, he, he gives me his guitar, uh, and he played at 175, you know, whatever, And uh, so now, I'm, I didn't expect any part of his plan to work. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> yeah. what have i got myself into you're probably thinking yeah, so right now, now <laughs> i'm
1: sitting in his small dressing room with his guitar in my lap with him and one of his old buddies you know childhood friends and they want me to and they're like impress me <laughs> <You> <laughs> <know>? <laughs> so i really want to say okay it's goodnight it's nice to meet you and run but oh so there i am so uh, i went into automatic pilot this is why practicing so much this day. I started to play a song that I had written that sounded kind of like a standard. You know, and I've gotten, I'm playing along, and I could see the wheels turning in his, in his head. You know, there, were, there were elements that sounded familiar, but this guy knows every song that was ever written, you know, from, from sort of that, you know, and he's like, ah. And finally, as I got back around to the second A, I'm only eight bars in, he says, hold on, hold on, what song is this? And I said, oh, it's the song. He said, did you write that piece? He said, how the hell can I tell how you play on a song I don't know? Play something right know.'" You know, it turned on me that quick. <laughs> oh, God. So then I quickly went into um, uh, We'll Be Together Again, you know, the old standard. Start playing it. And he's like, oh, okay, that's the one. I know. All right, All right, good. And so I'm playing it, you know, and, and he's
2: like, oh, yeah, not bad. I don't like
1: it. Okay, oh, cool. So, when I, you know, I, I played two choruses. That's it. You know, I get I. I and I gave him my best Joe Pass impression, <laughs> but what's funny is he didn't see it that way. When it was over, um, I said, "I said, well, uh, I said, clearly you can see how much I admire your playing." He's like, "Well, he's like, I appreciate you saying that." He said, but "You sound like George Benson," and I mean that. Of course, that's high praise, but only if that's how I meant to sound. Like I was really trying mm-hmm. to sound like him. So for him to tell me that, I felt like I failed, you know. Like he saw right through me. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and he, said, he said, what I mean is your feel, uh, the way you, that your notes move, the kind of bounce you have, it, it's very reminiscent of, of, uh, of George's feelings. And, I I, and he said, I want you to know, that's one of the best things about George's playing is the way the notes feel. You know? Wow. I, oh, right <laughs> you know, and he said, "Stick around." You know, and I shook his friend's hand. You know, like, I right, got it, kid. Stick around. Watch the show. And so I think, so he told somebody to tell the manager, you know, let him stay. Whatever. And uh, and so I stood on the side where I could you know, have a direct line of sight to the fretboard. And he said a few words to the audience, and then he started playing. We'll be together again. <laughs> and he played it for about ten minutes solo guitar. It was, and it was. A master class that covered every possibility, permutation, inversion—you know—it uh, was just—it was. If I had recorded it, it was—it's a master class for years to—I just you know, I just watch it, you know, just watch it. And every once in a while, I, you know, every few every few bars, you kind of look up and glance at me, grin, just to make sure <laughs> I was watching. He's like, "This is your lesson." <laughs> These are all the things you should be getting together. Try this. Try that. Try this. It was basically just a conversation between me, between myself and Joe, and the audience was there to watch. You know what I mean? And, and so um, I never forgot that, uh, and, and, I, and I never forgot any part of that. I mean, the fact that you know he had probably what amount what amounted to forty five minutes between shows to have a cognac and some dinner and catch up with his friends. And he took at least 15 minutes out of that to spend with some kid he never met. Um, that and offered him nothing in return. I didn't come up with, with, with a bag full of money. I just, yeah and um, the way that, you know, his generosity and his, uh, his humanity at that moment, because there are so many things that interfere With what we do, which is we we love music, we love to play. You know, there's racial issues and and social issues, all these things that that sort of prevent us from coming together and playing music. And the way that he just immediately put all that to the side to share a little bit with this kid, that made up, that made a lot, you know, that inspired me to move forward. And so I remember that every time someone asks me, Do you teach or you can have a lesson? You know, I don't always have time to give a lesson. I don't always feel like teaching. But if you want to play for a few minutes, you want to ask me a question, uh, you know, you got my attention. What's going on? You know what I mean? And and so I recognized the value in that because, uh, you know, he had no idea that that 10-minute exchange between us was going to lead to so much for me. You know, and then years later, when I started making records, I would see him on the road and say, yes, yes i like, what are doing? You know, he'd he leave me a note, you know, sorry, I missed you tonight, you know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, and, I, and I, I considered him to be, you know, a good friend right up until he passed, you know. And then um, it was so odd. I, I was, I, I, you know, years later, because um, you, you rarely ever meet the family members, like these guys, you think of these, you know, this, this guy who comes down from Mount Olympus plays guitar. You forget you still right with family, and so uh, a few years went by, and I, and I was headlining my own band at the Blue Note, um, and and uh, on the break, this guy come up, he's like, "Hey, I'm so and so." He was Joe Pass's nephew, and he said, uh, yeah, "Uncle Joe would be proud," but uh, he would come up and unplug the horse pedal. He said, "Joe always said that was cheating. If you want, if you want to, if you want to hear some oscillation, play a chord with it. Play a chord with some distance." Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Oh man, oh, it got me again." You know. Anyway, I you know, that. Another, not-
0: another, another lesson from from beyond. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. He reached out from beyond and snapped me upside the head. <laughs>
0: cool man uh well um you know i have to say i feel like i'm in a similar situation man because um you know like this is uh, I'm. it's a bit kind of selfish i guess but but for me this is one of the best lessons i've ever had in guitar playing man just listening to your talk it's it's, it's oh, awesome man. so yeah Thank th- thanks so much for coming on man um uh, yeah, yeah so but before we go uh something i'd really like to uh talk to you about is the your brand new album called grace which should be released about the time that this um interview is going to come out so yeah uh I'd, i'd love you to to share this um album with our audience here so um yeah please tell us about it Mel.
1: okay so um both of my sons are musicians um mark jr is a great drummer and uh he's a berkeley grad and Davis Alexander is a great piano player, also a Berkeley grad. Um, and you know, they grew up hanging out with dad, playing music. You know, we always kind of played together and, and I encouraged them to develop their own relationship, you know, with music and expression and the whole thing. And, and uh, they were always, not only welcome, but I encouraged them to come play with me and be, you know, be a part of it, So we could share this musical journey together, you know? especially when they, when they were kids because I, was, I had already sort of embarked on this journey and I wasn't gonna leave them behind. You know? I wanted to share with them, you know? And so um, uh, you know, I just couldn't be happier or more proud of the way that they drew inspiration from what they saw me doing and have gone on to really you know, take it to the next level. They, they, um, they use the advantages of growing up around musicians and, and having information and having good, having access to good musicians to talk to, to, um, to really get a head start on, uh, on solving some of these grand equations that playing jazz and playing music can present. Um, so, uh, they're, you know, they're working around the scene around the scene here in New York. Mark has recently recorded an album as a member of Kenny Garrett's group, and he is working with him, uh, off and on on the road, I think more on now than off, um, which is great. Uh, we're very proud of him. You know, there's not not many better gigs in the world than playing with Kenny Garrett. So, he's doing great. And Davis, um, similarly, is uh, he's developing a reputation for being one of New York City's and jazz in general, uh, one of the most interest you know, interestingly, refreshing, and historically astute players that we have you know he's, he's 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 23 but he has an amazing command of uh, not only the instrument but of, of the of the history you, you know without sounding like without sounding like you're, you know making you feel like you're at an exhibit at the smithsonian you know he he, he somehow gives you a uh, hundred years of jazz piano and you know old, you know in, in his a 60-minute set with his trio and and uh, it's refreshing and it's rare. And I don't know that he that he really understands. He may, I don't know that he understands how significant that is. But I'm really proud of his progress. What he's doing. He's leaving tomorrow uh, to go to Doha in Qatar for uh, for two months to play at the jazz club there in the hotel. So uh, we'll miss him. But he'll. I know he's going over to have a good time. You know, he'll come back having the leagues and knowledge playing there. He just can't beat that. So, all right, so a long story short, uh, or a long story long, I, <laughs> I, we got uh, one of their good friends, and a great bass player, Yasushi Nakamura, who I, I met when I was doing uh, master classes at Juilliard, the jazz program there. Uh, and he plays with, with Mark and some of the groups they play together in New York. Um, and we went, uh, and we started doing some shows around as a quartet, you know, the Whitfield family band or whatever it is, you know. And, and uh, so we, we recorded a record. And it basically is a collection of new versions of old songs and some new songs, you know. And so um, nothing is, is is played exactly the way it used to be. We took we took some songs that I had played that, that for me were, were significant chronologically, you know, as points in our lives. You know, a song that I wrote about Davis, you know, a song, a song that I wrote about a, a story that I had And so... Uh, we, these songs have been repurposed, so to speak. You know, and had new, new sections written, and new, you know, and uh, and that's what grace is all about. Um, and then we, you know, we did some, some of the music. So some of it is is very hard, driving, straight ahead. Uh, very some of it's you know kind of beautiful ballad. Then there's some groove things. You know, um, it's all the same instrumentation. Separate bass, drums. Davis plays piano on a little Fender Rhodes, and you know guitar and here's some chorus pedal on there. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> um, Let's check that uh, in. Right, right, but yeah, you know. Uh, but then um, we did this one song, and you know, I had my cousin Cy Smith. Uh, she is one of the world's foremost um, background studio singers. She's just one of those people. You know, she started out with Whitney Houston in the eighties. Um, she, you know, was one of the background singers in the vocal coach for American Idol, when it was big here in the states. She's toured with just about everybody at some point, uh, and now she's. She's uh, I got her in Chris Bode's band when I was in the band and she's back with them again. So anyway, um, uh, we had this one song and, and it just felt like it was a really good spot for her to sing on the family. She's family. And we, you know, we got we got this one song. And so we recorded it as a band. I sent it to her and she wrote some lyrics and sang it and sent it back. And it just it brought tears to mine. It's just, you know, I think it's beautiful. And so that, that's the title, that's the title track. And, um, I'm really proud. You know, I think it's gonna be. I hope that it's the first of many. But if it's the only one, I'm satisfied because it's me and my kids.
0: Wow. what oh, what a what an amazing way to make an album like with your whole family and yeah it sure. sounds like you you're really passionate about it and um yeah awesome. I personally can't wait to hear it man. So um for for all of you watching or listening right now um yeah check it out. Um I'll I'll put a link to Mark's album in the show notes for for this session. Uh but maybe Mark we could hear a track right now off the album um if you're willing to play one for us now.
1: I am. Um We'll play. We'll play. The title, we'll play. Grace, the title track.
0: grace with the title track grace being played there and um yeah just uh finally mark i'd like to really thank you for for taking the time and being so generous you know uh, you were talking about how joe pass was you know really kind to you that day um you know letting him sit in and um, i feel pretty much the same right now man i've um I've, I've personally got a huge amount out of this session and i'm sure that this is like there was so much gold in this um in this session today man i, I think people are going to have some really excellent takeaways you know uh, hearing directly from the master so to speak uh, uh, to to hear someone that's that's Really walked the, walked the walk and, and and you know like spent some time with with um you know the, some of the greatest jazz players of our time. So yeah, I just wanted to thank you once again, Mark, for for coming on the show to get today. And uh, if have you got any kind of final words of inspiration and, of, or advice for all of our viewers or listeners today?
1: Well, I mean, and, and, as, as if I haven't gone on and on and on long enough about it. No, not at that, all, man. i just like to leave everybody with, um, with you know, the thought that uh, music is here for us to enjoy. Uh, so I go about it from that perspective. It's my job. It's how I make my living. It's how, it's how I interface with, with my friends. But it's here for us to enjoy. The more that I put in, the more that I get out. Um, but uh, I, I find that you know, working, on, working on the smaller things, pay, being, paying attention to detail, and holding on to small building blocks has been what, uh, what has given me the ability to get to my inner voice. And that's the greatest joy that, that I've experienced with music. And So I hope that, um, that the things I've said are in some way helpful for each one of you to, to get to, to, to find your inner voice because that's that's a beautiful feeling, you know. Yeah, for sure, man.
0: What, what a wonderful way to end the interview. So uh, so thank you once again, Mark. And uh, just before we wrap up, uh, where's the best place to find you? Probably a, a, like a website would be good to tell sure. people so, about uh, and also I, and also where people could find your album too.
1: All right. So uh, my, my website is markwickfield.com. Um, I do a fairly decent job of keeping it updated with you know with the tour dates and information and, and the link there's always a link there to places you can either find me or find the record. Cdbaby.com is, is uh, sort of my, my default partner for for distribution, uh, both physical and electronic. And so I think we do a great job. Um, you know, every, they, they make sure that everything's available on Amazon and iTunes, whatever, you know, whatever your particular vendor of choice is. Um and then, you know, I, I recently have become active on Facebook. So there's, there's, a, there's a Facebook site, mm-hmm. you know, the official page of Mark Whitfield, because there's a, a some kind of like, a, a, like a, an electronic-generated fan site that's not me. There's an official Mark Whitfield, the guitarist page, and that has, you know, I put up videos and lots of, you know. And, and so I have all these uh, clips and videos and things that I've done either with my band or as a guest with great musicians, and they're just kind of sitting in the closet. So I've been putting them up, you know, on, on Facebook and, and, and sharing with people. Uh, so you can find me there or on Instagram, you know, the same kind of thing. And so I, I'm, I'm starting to learn and appreciate the value of, of the access that you have with, with our various social media sites to connect with people who love music around the world. It's wonderful. You know, and hopefully I'll see you guys down there soon. You know.
0: I'll, de- I'll definitely be um, sending people you away, Mark. So, all yeah, right, okay. Right. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make sure I'll, in- I'll include all those links in the show notes, as I said. And, um, yeah. So- so to everyone out there, make sure that you get a copy of Mark's album. I, I think it's, um, it's a, a, a really exciting project Mark's been doing with his family. And, um, yeah, it sounds really special. So um, get, get your copy at uh, markwhitfield.com and, and, and the websites Mark went, mentioned. Um, but, yeah, we, we might wrap it up there, Mark. So thanks very much for your time today, man.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I hope to see you again soon.
0: Well, I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Mark Whitfield. You can find Mark at markwhitfield.com. And yeah, just a reminder, his new album, Grace, should be out by the time that you see this interview. So, make sure that you head over to his site and get a copy and support one of the finest jazz guitarists of our generation. So, yeah, once again, markwhitfield.com. And if you want to find all the notes and links for this episode, just head over to fretdojo.com slash Mark Whitfield, and you'll be able to find uh, everything that we covered today very exciting stuff so yep that's uh, a wrap for now my name's Greg O'Rourke and yeah look forward to seeing you in another episode of Fret Dojo bye for now and for more jazz guitar lessons tips and free stuff visit www.fretdojo.com